0: Hello, everybody, welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm with Kieran O'Brien. We actually met on Twitter after he I learned that he had an acquisition recently for his company Media Kits, which is really impressive given the fact that he basically did everything that we always talk about here, which is basically building an agency, growing it, selling a software after going through that whole journey. And then he also has something else cooking in the works, which I'll let him talk about if he wants to or go into as much detail as he wants about that. So thanks so much, Kieran, for being on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Lucas.
0: So Karen, why did you start a SaaS product or why did you jump into the software space after having already built an agency?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think it became very clear to me after running an agency for three or four years that software was kind of the natural next step for a number of reasons. Number one is, you know, I was kind of feeling burnt out. Anybody kind of in the services space, you know, when you're providing services, whether you're doing it all yourself, or even if you have a team just kind of that that day in day out grind of of providing services and only scaling you know with more effort being being put in so like input versus output is so heavily correlated in the services industry and so it leads to burnout pretty quickly and so that's why I kind of realized that software was the next step and then more importantly just in terms of like my career I kind of figured that the things that i learned running a marketing agency and and the the basics that i learned about marketing and human psychology could easily be applied to marketing a product like a software product that has infinite scalability and so i thought that that was just kind of the natural next step
0: so when it came to that difference i mean one of the main reasons why people's transition to a SaaS product is again because of automating themselves out of the delivery of the product and then also if their goal is to build you know value for their customers and also you know potentially personal wealth for themselves, there's better valuations in, in SaaS than there is marketing agencies. I don't need you to go into what you guys sold for any of that stuff, but did you notice that there was it was a lot easier to create value in your SaaS product and that the, the, the multiples on that were higher than what you could have sold your marketing agency for?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, your marketing agency is only as valuable as the people and the SOPs and the things like that. There's really no IP to be had in like the right. marketing agency services business versus building, you know, real products with a real code base and, and real right. IP is, is much easier to sell for.
0: And what, so are you a developer or did you just partner with developers or how did you get into software space so easily at such a young age? Yeah,
1: no, I'm, I'm not a developer by trade. I'm not technical. I'm lucky to be surrounded by really smart people and and hire some really good engineers at, at my companies.
0: And so it was year 3 or 4 when you jumped into the SaaS product when was that?
1: Yeah, so I I started my marketing agency in like late 2016 uh when I was right. in high school and I ran that basically until 2020. And the the story of media kits it, it's interesting because a lot of these guys that you see in the marketing space that end up building SaaS tools it's kind of a natural progression and they start building SaaS tools. Like you said, to kind of solve a problem that their agency was already solving more manually. For me, uh, from the outside looking in, at least it kind of looks like I just went completely left field where I was building an automotive marketing agency. And then I went off and basically built like an influencer SaaS company, which, Mm -hmm. you know, couldn't be more different. But the reality of the, of the matter was that I actually came up with the idea for the SaaS business in 2017, when I was running influencer marketing alongside my paid marketing services for these automotive e-commerce brands. And yeah. as a result of that, I realized that there was a massive data transparency issue in the industry for influencer marketing specifically. And that's when I kind of came up with the idea for Media Kits and started tinkering with it. And you know, the big thing for me was being able to fund it myself, being able to bootstrap it for the little, uh, yeah. at least for a little while in the beginning. And so that yeah. opportunity just didn't come up until many years later.
0: Share what you're willing to share about the size of the agency in terms of either revenue, clients, or kind of where you guys got to before you transitioned to the SaaS product. Where were you generally in terms of size then?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, started the company when I was 16. Back then it, was, it wasn't even really a company. It was, I was more of a glorified freelancer. I remember I had my first $8,000 month when I was a senior in high school. So I was like 17 years old, I think. So Got to like a quote unquote six figure run rate uh, when I was 17. Um, So that was cool. But obviously that's kind of just like day in, day out grinding and doing like super blanket manual services. Eventually by late 2019, the company was doing multiple six figures annually and we crossed the million dollar ARR mark in early 2020 uh, when I was 20 years old. At that point, it was no longer like a boutique agency. It was actually a productized agency where the services we were selling were nicely packaged up and uh, very easily easy deliverables, all powered by SOPs and process and everything. And so it was kind of like right. rinse and repeat. And it was about as close as you could get to limitless fulfillment as you can get with with a services business.
0: Did you start this yourself? Did you have anybody that partner with you? Do you have any co-founders or was it you specifically? And that was it.
1: Yeah. In the beginning, the agency was just me. I brought in an amazing co-founder, my co-founder Caden, who still runs the agency to this day. And uh, when I went off to do media kits, I kind of handed over the reins to him, but yeah, him and I were kind of in the trenches building kind of the V2 of that agency, which was the productized version of it. And then I went off and, and started the SaaS business.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. It's so funny because that, that must've been around what year four or five. Was that when you- Yeah, when you roughly. That? was
1: Yeah. About four years in when I decided to go in on SaaS. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Cause that's the exact same progression we had and uh, yeah. similar revenue milestones and basically it's funny how like, yeah, you have to build up enough. You have to basically take a management exit, which I'm assuming that's probably what you did is that you yeah. didn't have to be involved in the day to day. And you could spend your time doing things that are more high value. And you did, I think a really smart thing, which is obviously selling the company is smart, but also just building a brand and like focusing on that in tandem with building a SaaS product. Cause then you have all these people you can drive to the SaaS product. What was the process like of actually building that initial MVP? I mean, were you able to do it really lean at first and then you eventually built SaaS on top of it and then it became a full SaaS product or how did that process work in in, in terms of investment, building the initial product?
1: That's really the age old question, right? Is how do you build an MVP? How do you build kind of like a proof of concept for your SaaS idea? I will say caveat, I did it completely wrong. Uh, looking backwards, <laughs> I would have done so many things differently. So I'll tell you what I did yeah. and I'll tell you what I would have done. Yeah, different.
0: please do. Cause I'm in the same um, position right now trying to learn how to do yeah. this. So it's probably very helpful.
1: Yeah, man. So, so I bootstrapped, I put about a hundred thousand dollars of my own money into media kits before we ever raised outside capital. So we did end up raising yeah. about 1.5 million in outside capital uh, later, but I put some yeah. money into it first. Now it's important to note for media kits that the UI UX was very important because a media kit in and of itself, the product that we were trying to disrupt with our product is a visual tool, right? It's, it's a tool that heavily relies on graphic design and visuals historically. And so for me as a first time founder, that kind of natural thought process was, all right, let me go hire a UI UX designer first and not worry about engineering. And so I guess there's kind of two lessons in that. Number one is don't neglect UI UX because even though it might seem silly or it might seem like less important than development it is massively important in today's market because at the end of the day, consumers will make buying decisions based on appearance and UI, UX and ease of use, right? simplicity and so on and so forth. And so do not neglect it. However, you do want to make sure that you're actually building the product in tandem. You don't want to just have (laughs) a bunch of pretty designs that don't work because that's not good either. And so I think the, uh, the happy medium there is having a really kick ass UI UX designer, but also having an engineer that works really well alongside them. And so for me, I went a little bit too hard on the UI UX side of things to the point where by the time we had a development team at Media Kits, our UI UX team was four to six months ahead of them at any given time on, on the roadmap. And so we were nice. just playing catch up uh, with the UI UX team. And so uh, looking back, I wish they were moving more in lockstep throughout the process.
0: Last year, we booked 1,731 meetings, closed 234 accounts, and generated 1.72 million dollars in revenue. I want the same thing for your agency, so I've decided to give away some of my best performing outbound copy scripts for free. That's right. Absolutely free. If you want to transform your business for free, go to scale.twiz.io to get your free lead scripts today. That's scale.twiz.io scale s c a l e dot twiz dot i o now back to the show so you went and raised did you do that from friends and family did you go vc or did you angels or how did you get to that point
1: kind of all the above so we, we started out raising from friends and family we raised a few hundred thousand dollars that way and then we kind of tapped out, you know, and, and we started relying heavily on angel checks and referrals from our network. My co-founder Casey at Media Kits obviously is very connected in the space. And so we were able to have some amazing angel investors come in through that, uh, just yeah. through his Rolodex. And then we did have a couple VC funds uh, write angel sized checks into that round. And then furthermore, we actually went uh, basically almost all the way through due diligence with a proper VC fund to lead a second round of funding which is then when we kind of came to the, to the crossroads where we got the acquisition offer. And we also had this fundraising offer and we kind of had to pick between the two. You know, for all intents and purposes, we, we basically, uh, paperwork wise, we raised the second round of funding. We just didn't end up closing on it because we sold, uh, we sold the company prior to, uh, prior Very to closing.
0: Interesting. So, so do you regret that first round of fundraising? Or do you think that, like, do you think you could have got there without the fundraising? Or do you think it was necessary to then sell at all? Yeah, no,
1: it was... No, It was absolutely necessary. I don't live with any sort of regret, right? I think everything happens for a reason. There are a lot of things in the fundraising process that I messed up that I would do differently next time. However, I say to Casey all the time, my co-founder, you know, th- that fundraising process for Media Kits at 20 and 21 years old was the biggest learning experience for, for both of us, where we, we learned yep. so much about fundraising. We learned so much about just like the startup world and the processes and, and running a fundraise like a sales process um, and just like really keeping a tight process behind it. Like there were so many learning uh, learning lessons from raising money for the very first time, and I wouldn't yeah. trade it for the world. I think um, regardless, it was it was an amazing experience for both of us as founders. But then, additionally okay. to your to your question, yeah, no, the, the Media Kits product could not have been built without that fundraise because right. we were putting you know basically all we had in terms of like liquid capital into uh, Media Kits leading up to it, and and I, I was running out of money, and so was Casey, and we had to go fundraise.
0: So. I think I'm not going to ask you what you sold for because I'm assuming it's private, but I am curious, what amount would you recommend that agency owners who transition to SaaS sell for as like a floor? Like if they have a SaaS product, because a lot of times, I mean, obviously a lot of this depends on if they have a good product, if actually people want it and all this stuff. But like if you do that transition, you put all that time into it, at what point does it make sense? At what level of sale would it make sense for someone to sell their SaaS product knowing that they could just sit on the agency and continue to produce cash and never go into SaaS and probably make a lot of money too. So like at what point is the risk reward worth it, do you think? Like for agencies, like if you're going to do this, don't expect to sell until you're going to sell it for this amount at least. Is there a number that makes sense for the risk reward for people at least? or Mm. Because I mean, you did both. You've done both. You've done the revenue from the agency and now you've sold. And again, I don't need the number, but like just a general heuristic for people that might want to sell in the future. At wow, what point right. is it worth it to actually transition?
1: When it comes to selling your business and making that decision, there's kind of two big considerations. Number one is the more selfish consideration, which is what do you want, right? As a founder, as an entrepreneur, where are you in your career? Like, do you have a wife and kids that you need to put food on the table for and, and you've got a, a cash offer that could set them up, right? Do you have debt? Do you have financial obligations to other people? Like, There, there are some intrinsic selfish kind of questions that you have to ask yourself. And then from there, it's like, what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? Do you want to drive an exotic car and have a big mansion and all these things? Or do you want to keep building enterprise value for a product that could sell for even more down the line, right? Is the product in a place where it is sellable even right now? Or would it be worth putting in a a few more months or a few more years of work to get it to a point where it's exponentially larger? So that's kind of the first thing is like, look inwards, look at your life as a person and as a business owner what kind of problems are you facing? What kind of opportunities do you have? Is there an opportunity cost that you're taking by, by pursuing this and not selling? Is there an opportunity cost that you're taking by selling and missing out on that potential upside, you know, may or may not be there, right? And so there's all these questions, and you really just have to make your best educated guess. Now, the second and perhaps more important consideration is your stakeholders, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a co-founder that disagrees with you on the decision of selling the business or not? Do you have investors? Do you have shareholders? Do you have people that you report to, where you have a fiduciary responsibility to other people, and you can't just make a selfish decision? If you're a 100% wholly owned bootstrap founder, really you can make the decision to sell based on your own personal needs and 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 wants, right? But if you have stakeholders, co-founders, investors that you need to report to and and make the decision with their best interests in mind, then that kind of trumps your own uh, your own best interests, right? So these are the questions yeah. that you need to ask and. Really, the number is going to kind of come from those answers.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And so to wrap up here, I want to give you an opportunity. I think you mentioned you might want to talk about the new project you have going on, or how, what do you want to yeah. do? Yeah.
1: My co-founder at my agency, Caden and I, we basically, we were running into this problem where basically we ran our entire marketing agency on GoHighLevel for the last like two, three years. We were one of the first agencies to use GoHighLevel. We've got hundreds of clients on there and basically Go High Level has great reporting, but it's only per client. And so we basically wanted to see a dashboard, kind of like a media kit, ironically, um, yeah. We want to see a dashboard that could display all of the data from all the different clients. So how many leads they're getting, phone call, uh, you know, reviews, et cetera. We want to be able to see that in one centralized location. And so yeah. we actually built agencyreporting.com, which is a SaaS tool that basically compiles oh, nice. <laughs> all of your, yeah, all of your GHL location data in one real-time dashboard. And that's basically like this little side project that Caden and I have been working on. We initially just built it for ourselves to solve that problem for our own agency. Yeah. and then we had a bunch of agency friends of ours reach out and say, hey, we'd love to use this too. And so yeah. uh, we built it we built it, and uh, it's, it's really cool and we're, we're really excited about it.
0: You know, I was going to say if anyone was curious whether or not he sold for a good amount of money, all you have to do is just go look at the URL because uh, agencyreporting.com I have to imagine <laughs> is not cheap. <laughs> so yeah, good job. But go yeah. check out this website agencyreporting.com. I'm not getting a cut on this. I don't get any commission from this, but I do recommend you check it out because I know this is a pain point for a lot of people who use Go High Level. Great tool, but definitely could have more accurate reporting, better reporting, all sorts of stuff. So thank you, man, for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we wrap up here?
1: If you're trying to get into SaaS, it's not going to be easy, but it is absolutely worth it. It is one of the best business models to be in, and it is one of the best things that you can do as an entrepreneur and just as a person to grow both personally and professionally. So I highly recommend it. And uh, thanks again for having me on,
0: Lucas. Thanks so much. And for everybody listening, Kieran O'Brien has been able to grow over the last six years, not only just as marketing agency getting it to a seven-figure run rate, but on top of that, being able to launch a SaaS product and then sell it for an undisclosed amount, but it looks like it's been a pretty successful exit. And he's on to new things, really excited to see what happens. And Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate it.